Hey, welcome to the C3 Church Victory Podcast. We pray this message will inspire you and activate your faith. Thanks for joining us. I've been feeling this series for our church uh, probably since the beginning of the year. Um, And I have just been sitting on it and I've been soaking in it. I've been in the book of Mark now pretty much since the beginning of the year. I know Pastor Darren, he's a little bit more prophetic than me. He's hosting out online this morning. But he was was in the book of Mark mid last year. So he was ahead of the game. But um, I've also never done this with a series. Uh, Normally we have it all nicely planned out and... um, you know, if the Spirit wants to adjust things, he's, he's absolutely able to. But this is the first series where I am openly going to say, I don't know the end date. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. What I do know, what I do know is that when we complete this series as a community, we're going to be different. That I am 100% convinced of. I also know as a community, we're going to be bigger. Um, here's, here's the thing, right? Disciples can't help but evangelize. Disciples, true disciples, people that are truly in love with Jesus and have placed their lives into his hands to be shaped and changed, can't help but talk about what he does and how real he is to them, which results in people coming to meet Jesus. Let's be certain about one thing from the word go. We need to remove from our understanding the idea that we invite people to come to church. Coming to church is a result of meeting Jesus. Jesus is the real, living, breathing God who we serve. Jesus is the one who has saved us. Jesus is the one who continues to save us. And if you want to introduce somebody to something that is going to change their life, to a person who is actually going to alter the absolute course and trajectory of their life, introduce them to Jesus, not church. Now, we are the church. So that should be a, that should be a fantastic experience because we should have Jesus living in us. And so people should, should in a way be meeting him when they meet us anyway. But let's never think we're just inviting someone to a club in the same way we would invite them to a Jets game, because that's gonna be probably a bit disappointing. <laughs> we didn't finish bottom of the table though, amen. And uh, you know, we're heading in the right direction. Uh, you can pray for me. Uh, I have high expectations for next season and hope deferred makes the heart sick. So. Uh, you know, if you want a healthy pastor, pray the Jets play well. All right. So I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to spend too much time on my introduction this morning. I've got a lot to get through, but I really believe there are going to be four key things that God does in our community over the the, the length of this series. We're going to try to keep it fresh. We're going to kind of bring a new new. I don't know, title's probably not the right word, but you know, we like to label things, we like to give things names and get creative and stuff. So we're, gonna, we're opening this series with a, with a theme, if you will, called Announcing Authority. Announcing Authority. And you know, if you know anything about the book of Mark, you would know that it begins with John the Baptist announcing that Jesus is coming. And uh, so we, we, we're going to kind of keep that for the whole of chapter one. Chapter one is all about authority. Chapter one is about Jesus's authority being announced on planet earth. It's exciting. It's like, oh my goodness, you know, there's all sorts of stuff going on. We're going to get into it. It's going to be, it's going to be cool. But, but chapter two and three, we're going to, we're going to kind of label it something different. And then chapter four and five, we're going to give it a new sort of label just to, just so you guys don't get bored, right? 
Um, if, you, if you get bored reading the Word of God, you are reading it the wrong way. And uh, I would encourage you to come and please talk to a pastor so we can help you find the life that is in this book. And uh, just for clarity's sake, this whole series, every one of our preaching team is going to preach from the NIV, which is new for me. All right, so there you go. When we, do a, when we do a more exegetical book of the Bible, I really like to lean into the NIV. Thematic messages, I like to lean into the NLT. But, uh, you know, we'll get, let's, get, let's, let's not get too caught up in that. Let's read the Bible, amen? Mark chapter one, here we go. In the beginning, I oh, know that's, that's Genesis. Mark 1, 1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written, in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. How good is it that when God has a plan, he makes the people appear at the right time? at the right time. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that I firmly believe that every ounce of the plan that God has of victory is found in the people that he brings to victory. If you are sitting here this morning and you are a part of this church, you are a part of God's plan for this church. You are a part of contributing something to the building and the expression of what God has planned for this church to be. If you don't know what that is, come and talk to someone because I do not believe that you are living out the fullness of your Christian journey until you have found what it is that God has formed you for in the expression of his church, his bride. There is something about this place that you are called to contribute to. Um, And I I so firmly believe that. And a huge shout out to our venue. Where's our venue team this morning? Who's on our venue? Why don't you stand up this morning? Stand up this morning. If you're on our venue team, come on. I know there's more than just Darian. Not just this week. But if you're like on the alternate cycle, on the alternate cycle, I feel like we should rename this team, right? This team is the John the Baptist team, right? Like they prepare the way of the Lord. But no beheadings. Uh, 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 yeah, a good, good plan. We're not going to behead anybody this morning. Um, but they often go unnoticed. They're here early. They unpack it. They unpack a container full of stuff. They set up our foyer. They set up the, the auditorium for you. They, they prepare the way. And I think if we're not careful, we will undermine the preparation because we only focus on the person. You see, God was very specific in bringing John the Baptist for the purpose of preparation. If we miss preparation, we won't be ready for the person. If we don't have a venue team, we won't have this place in a position where you walk into a ready-made, easy-to-access encounter with God. Our worship team works overtime in that first song because I know you come from the same place that I do where you're trying to get three kids ready in time to get to church so you're not the one that's rocking up late at the back with the coffee that Pastor Rach talked about last week where the worship team sees you walk in, right? Like, I I know what it's like to try to get three kids out of the house. I know what it's like to try to get, uh, uh, well, actually, I don't know what it's like to get four kids. I didn't do that. I'm not crazy. But some of you are, and God bless you. Uh, But, you know, it can be complex, and you can arrive here having had an argument with your spouse in the car or an argument 
argument with yourself about how you're going to attract your spouse in the house on Sunday, right? And you can rock up and be full of anxiety and stress. And our venue team has gone before you making sure that this environment is clean and there's music playing and the atmosphere is set. And, you know, we might even get into some, some doTERRA smells. So you come in and go, oh, it smells like frankincense. We work overtime to prepare the way. Why? Because preparation is important. God said preparation was important. God never put a plan in action without positioning the preparation ahead of time. I wonder what he's preparing you for. I wonder what what he is. I wonder whose preparation you are. (laughs) Whose preparation are you? Who is he positioning you in the life of to prepare the way for them to meet the Lord? And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. Oh, I'm gonna get onto that, it's gonna be good. Preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Amen, let's pray. Father, we are your people. This is your church. Speak to us. Shape us. Confront the areas in us that you want to transform. In Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. So, Rach and I and our exec team and our amazing new youth leaders, Isaac and Em, are all of us headed down to Hobart last, was it last week? Week before, I was going to say, man, it feels like longer than last week. The week before last to our C3 Australian National Pastors and Leaders Conference. That is a mouthful, but we got there. And uh, we had an amazing time connecting with other pastors in our movement and just having some input and some time away together as a team. And uh, you know, hopefully you had, had, were able to check it out on Instagram. You saw us all acting crazy and scootering around Hobart and things like that. Um, we had a lot of fun together. It was great. But you know, this really interesting thing happened. I, I, I say interesting because if I say funny, I, I might offend my wife. Um, but it was, it was, let's be honest, it was really funny. Rachel and I, on our flight home, um, you know, we were, we were a little tired and Rach tends to nap at any opportunity. Okay, uh, when we were traveling around Europe, I have an entire folder of photos of Rach catching some nap on the tour bus or catching a nap on the ferry at, at Venice. You know, we're getting our ferry, Rach is like, I'm out, I'm catching a quick 10 minutes, right? Like, it's, it's just a, basically it's a tradition now that when we travel, Rach sleeps and I, I, I watch movies. Um, and so Rach is catching a quick nap on our flight back from Hobart. And I don't know if you've flown a lot recently, um, but sometimes you forget things that happen on the plane. Like you forget that the cabin is pressurized. And so when you have a drink bottle um, that you drink on the ground, something happens to it when you are at cruising altitude. Has anyone had this experience? I don't know if you've had this experience. But Rach is napping. Rach is napping peacefully, ready to re-emerge into our life of three kids, the beautiful chaos. 
And, and she wakes up, you know, and, and the first thing she kind of wants is like, oh, I'm a little parched. I'll, I just have a little sip of my water. And, um, and reaches for her drinking bottle. And I'm, I'm watching this like Ella, because I'm like, oh, you woke up, darling. Oh, so nice for you to rejoin me uh, so we can have some quality time. And she reaches for the drink bottle and, and, and goes to pop, because her drink bottle is a pop top, goes to pop the, the spout to drink. And of course, the drink bottle is totally pressurized, right? It is like a grenade ready to let go. It's like, it is so ready. And, and, and so she pops it and you, like she has got to aim. You, I could not have aimed the drink bottle more accurately if I had tried. Like when I was 10, pranking my parents, I could not have lined up this drink bottle any better. And she pops it and the water spurts directly into her face, full force, full force, water bottle. I mean, if you want to wake up quick, you just do that, right? Water in the face, water all down her pants, um, and I, I, I couldn't contain it. I, it's like, I was like, I lost it. I was, I was like, I need to go to the bathroom. I'm laughing so hard. And, and, and I, I did ask if I could share the story this morning, but it was, it was awesome. It was, it was like you could not recreate that moment. And I was reading one of the, one of the commentaries this week on the book of Mark. It's Tim Keller. It's, it's Mark for everyone, I believe. Great. If you want to, uh, while we're doing this journey, if you want to invest a little bit into your spiritual growth, you know, get a commentary. Read with us any commentary of the New International Commentary on the New Testament. Uh, I think Carson uh, or Moo, uh, they, they do an, a great commentary. But, but Tim Keller's Mark for Everyone is a very easy read. And he talks about how the book of Mark is a little bit like being woken up with a bucket of water thrown at your face. That's how he describes this book because Mark is like, he is on it. He is like, this is like, he is firing from the word go. Mark's favorite word is the word immediately. Right, like Mark is in your face. He's like, bam, this happened, bam, that happened, this is happening, boom, boom. John the Baptist, and then Jesus is like, boom, I'm casting out demons. And it's, 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 it's like this extra accelerated version of the gospel. And um, we gotta, we gotta understand that Mark is writing with this urgency. Like, I gotta get this out. I gotta, like, I gotta tell people about the good news. And before we unpack the text this morning, I want to take an opportunity to, to teach a little bit. Is that all right? For those of you who don't know, I was a high school teacher for 10 years, and sometimes it still surfaces uh, in me. But one of the things that we want to do during this book is help people, help our congregation to know how to read the Bible effectively. Who knows that we can approach the Bible and if we don't know how to read it effectively, we can take scripture out of context and we can, we can do all sorts of strange things with it. And so this morning, even if you don't take notes, I would like you to take notes on this one part of my message, just this one part, okay? Because with scripture, if you, know, if you learn anything about reading the Bible, the number one thing you need to know is that context is king. I know Jesus is king, I know that. But context is king. When you are reading the word of God, you have got to understand context. And so what I'm gonna give to you this morning is what's called a contextual framework. Now, if I had prepared this in advance, I have the capacity, I've just learned, it's very exciting. I can write on this, and while I write on this, I can have it on the big screen, and you can see. Yeah, so you better believe that's coming, all right? You better believe it. 
But for now, you're just gonna, you're just gonna have to, I'm gonna do it with my hands. So, contextual framework, a good framework, right? It's got four sides. So if you're a drawer, draw a square. If you're a sequential, do a one, two, three, four, okay? These are your four most important pieces of understanding to build the correct context. Number one is know the author. Know the author. It's the first plank of wood on our contextual framework. Know the author. So for the book of Mark... The author is someone called John Mark. John Mark, he comes up in Scripture. Some of you may, under, may, may it might like twig in your mind, oh, John Mark, isn't he to do with Paul? Great, yes, same person. Okay, so he did some of the, mission, the initial missionary journey with Paul, had a bit of a falling out because he gave in to timidity and fear, went back with Barnabas. Barnabas is never heard of again in Scripture. Turns out if you give in to fear, then you take yourself out of the calling of God. Um, so side note, but, but, but John Mark then links up with Peter, who at the time you know, is leading the church. Um, and, and what we get, what we understand from, from researching a little bit about the author of the book of Mark is that John Mark, who, who didn't walk with Jesus, what he has written is actually Peter's account. Which is great to know because when we start reading about how the, the miracles are recalled or, or how, how later on, you know, we get a whole lot of detail in Mark about, about the, the, the way in which Peter denied Jesus around the fire. We understand, wow, that's, that's Peter actually recounting that. It speaks to us at a deeper level when we understand that it's Peter's recount of walking with Jesus that John Mark has sat down and written. So author, number two, is what we would call occasion. O-C-C-A, I can't spell. Occasion. The occasion is why was it written? Why was this book even written? And, and if you understand a little bit about the time that it was written, which would be number three, is date. So author, occasion, date. Really important things when you're approaching a book of the Bible. Author, occasion, date. And the date that Mark was written, okay, is said to be somewhere between 60 and 70 AD. So we are talking about first century. We cannot read this book and think they knew what was going on in the 21st century and not put it through the framework that it was written to Christians in the first century. We can't do that, and we do that all the time. And what was happening in that 60 to 70 AD? Well, number one, the great fire of Rome happened. Mark is writing this from Rome. Mark is writing this in a season where the, the largest acceleration of martyrdom in Christianity has ever begun. Is it any wonder then that Mark has an urgency about making sure that he gets the story of Jesus out to number one, those who are currently suffering persecution, but also he might not be here tomorrow. He might die. He might get his head cut off. Okay, there is, there is, there is an urgency in first century Christianity that Mark is fully aware of, where he is like, wow, stuff is getting crazy. We've got to get this written down because Mark is considered to be the first gospel ever written. And so, and so understanding some of this, we start, to, we start to be like, oh, wow. I, I, I'm reading this with the right frame of reference now. I get why he's writing the way that he is. 
okay? And then, and then the fourth one, the fourth one is his audience. So who is he actually writing to? Because that, that's, that's going to explain why he says some things and why he doesn't say other things. That's why Matthew sounds different to Mark. Matthew's writing to a different audience. Mark is writing to Gentile Christians. Gentile Christians from Rome and probably from the majority of Italy. That's his expected or thought of audience, right? So we package all this in, we make a great framework out of it, and then we can embark on, on teaching. What, uh, now, inside of that framework, so we've got a contextual framework, then we go to interpretation. And interpretation is also really important. I'm wasting all my time teaching, but we'll get there. This is why it has a never-ending series, right? All right? Because now I can take as long as I want on one verse of Scripture. When you interpret the Bible, when you go to read the Bible, you need to ask yourself three questions inside that framework. So we go, okay, it's written to first century. It's written, great fire of Rome. People are dying. Christians are dying. Peter, tell me what happened. Let's get this written down. First, you have to ask yourself, what was Mark saying to them? What was Mark saying to them? Because them is more accurate than you. Firstly is, what was Mark saying to them? Secondly, what is Mark saying to us? Last, we should ask, what is Mark saying to me? <coughs> Sorry. Now, what happens when we get those things wrong is we get on our own in our bedroom, in our mum's basement, and we start posting. And we start, we start, oh, Scripture's saying this. And we take our revelation outside of community where it can be refined and where it can be, it can be adjusted, where church tradition, where 2,000 years of the way that the Christian family has interpreted a passage of Scripture can filter how you, so smart, in the 21st century, decide, oh no, it's, a, it's saying something different. Hasn't said that for 2,000 years. Didn't say that in the first century when it was written to the people it was written to, but oh, I'm in my bedroom and in my mum's basement and I've got a fresh interpretation of Scripture because now it says this. And I'm not going to tell anyone in church that it says that because they might tell me it doesn't. And what happens is we end up with bad theology. Sorry. I don't mean to yell. I love you. But can I tell you what happens with bad theology? Bad theology takes you out of church because bad theology means that you understand God poorly bad theology takes you out of community because it causes you to misinterpret the church we have got to commit to the community refinement of our theology allowing for the input of others into how we interpret scripture so that we don't get weird and wacky and start saying that Bible says things that are never said to them, never said to them in the first century. All right, now let's read the Bible. Bad theology talk. Mark 1, 1 to 8, in the beginning, good news, good news. Let's, uh, uh, gospel, the gospel is the good news. Can I tell you, the gospel was not a Christian word. The gospel was a Greco-Roman first century description of an announcement of good news. So when we read the, the Bible has four gospels, well, it has four announcements of the good news. And this good news was first correlated to the announcement of the, 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 the emperor of Rome, who coincidentally also was called the son of God. 
Interesting. I don't have time to kind of do all the backstory on that, but the emperor was called the son of God. And people would go around talking about, well, that's the good news. The emperor is good news because he's going to do this and bring this. And here we have Christians taking the language of their day and using it to redefine not just what good news was because good news in the Roman Empire was always external. He's going to give you, a, he's going to give you bread to live. He's going to do this. He's going to build aqueducts. What have the Romans ever done for us, right? Um, education. Oh, other than that, yeah. Um, so off track. Come back, Nate. Um, and so they take the language that was known, the language that was known, and they're like, you know what? Let me tell you about the good news. Let me give you an announcement of good news about the true son of God. And now when you understand that the son of God was what was known, the emperor was known of that, you start to wonder why the persecution began to arise when Christians began to be like, mm, emperor's not the son of God. Someone else is the son of God. His name is Jesus. You tried to crucify him, but he came back to life. He's seated at the right hand of the father. Of course, that's gonna create some, some consternation. And this is how Mark begins. He's like, let's get things straight from the word go. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the Messiah. And what he came to do is the true good news for all time, for all of the planet, for all time. And when it was good to them, it's still good for us. And it's still good for you because we don't lose our interpretation of the good news as we go through those filters, right? If something wasn't good for them, it shouldn't be good for me now, right? It was good news for them, it's good news for us together, and it's good news for you. But it says, I will, I will send my messenger. I will send my messenger, John the Baptist. He was a savage. I mean, we would pay good money now to a, a, a restaurant on a Diga station to have locusts and wild honey, right? Like, like they'd put that on the menu and we'd all be like, ooh, $200 a head. Um, but verse one, all the way through, Mark's introduction, one, one to eight, he leaves no doubt, no doubt what we are about to read. He is very clearly announcing who the true authority is. And it should be of no surprise that he, he references Isaiah because that's all they had. They didn't have the Bible in the first century. Mark is, Mark is writing the first account of Jesus' life. Everybody up until this point who believed in Jesus and given them his life and received forgiveness from him, they don't have this. They have the Jewish Old Testament because it points to him. And so of course, you're gonna start from the place that points to Jesus in the Old Testament. If you are John the Baptist, you are the one who is pointing, you are gonna use the thing that points at the same time. It goes on, it says, and John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness. This is, the wilderness is a key theme in Mark. He keeps coming back to the wilderness. He keeps coming back to this thing called the wilderness. And I feel like I have some things to say about the wilderness this morning because if, when, 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 we, when we are in the wilderness, we think maybe we've taken a wrong turn. When, when our life feels like it's, it's all stuff going on and man, I don't feel like I'm in the flow and I feel like I'm dry. I feel like I'm out there in the desert and this part of my life is barren. This part of my life isn't producing the fruit that I want. I feel like I'm in a wilderness, right? We use that word in church. No, people don't use it anywhere else except describing the Blue Mountains. Um, <laughs> 
But you've got to understand that when we read Mark, we see that the wilderness has purpose. Mark shows us that the wilderness is actually incredibly important. Just like everything else in Mark, it was positioned there for a reason. He is about the, 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 the positioning. He is about this was here for now, this happened. And he uses the wilderness to help us understand that the wilderness is not a place that we should avoid, but actually if we're in the wilderness, then God has either sent you there, led you there, is with you there, because he is doing something in you that he requires the wilderness out there to do it. And it's actually of importance. We're gonna read about Jesus going into the wilderness in a little bit. But here's the thing about the wilderness. I've written here, you can write this down. You can put it in the chat. How's that online going? My wilderness is God's wonderland. My wilderness is God's wonderland. Why? Because it's the place He loves. It's the place He goes to work. It's the place He prepares us for purpose. It's a place that He is able to do things in our life that He cannot do when we are in a season of, 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 of success or a season of much. It's when we are in a season of lack or a season of difficulty that He is able to do things in our life that He could not do anywhere else. And His purpose is our transformation. And therefore, when we're in the wilderness, we are in His wonderland. We've not made a wrong turn. We've not done something wrong. He goes on, he says, he's preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. You know, the Amplified defines repentance like this. It says, a change of one's mind for the better. Heartily amending one's ways with abhorrence for his past sins in order to obtain forgiveness of and release from sin. change of one's mind, a change of one's mind. Your Christianity is not behavior modification. Christianity is not about us trying harder, striving, gritting our teeth, working harder, self-discipline. The discipline's good, but Christianity is not about that. Christianity is not just trying harder to not do what you think you shouldn't do and trying harder to do what you think you should. No, Christianity is about agreeing with God that the way that we think about some things like money or possessions or success or members of the opposite sex or life or death or purpose is wrong. And we need Him to change us. You see, you can only act so long in a way that is contrary to what you really think. You can put it on for a while you can try hard for a while, but ultimately what you truly believe will come out in the way that you live and act. The way that you truly perceive the world, your worldview, the way that you think about things, it comes out in how you act. It precedes every action. It precedes every behavior. And the thing that we have to understand with Christianity is that the journey of Christianity, the journey of discipleship, true discipleship, is a journey of confrontation with your worldview based on Scripture, based on the revelation of the Spirit. So that when we go to the Bible and it says something and we're like, mm, I don't agree with that, we don't get to do that. We don't get to leave it there. We can be like, oh God, this, woo, that's difficult right there. I don't, I, don't, that's, I don't think like that. 
but change me. Change me. Romans says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Some of us are tired trying to transform ourselves without changing how we think. Some of you are exhausted in your Christianity journey and you're just tired all the time and frustrated all the time and angry all the time because ultimately you're exhausted and you're exhausted because you're trying to be a good Christian. I know, I've been there. Trying to be a good Christian without just coming to Jesus and being like, well, you know what? The truth is I do think like this. And God, I know that's wrong. And, and, I, and this is what repentance sounds like. Repentance sounds like, God, I know I think like that. And because I think like that, I do this. And I know that's not right. So God, change this. That's repentance. Where the desire of our heart to be transformed causes us to bring our thinking to Jesus so that it might be changed. And he says, okay, let's go. Okay, let's go. And then we go to work and we partner with him. And then we put our effort into the things that we're trying to change the way we think. And then we start writing down in journals, scriptures that feed into the new mindset. And every time we think the wrong way again, we go, you know what? I'm not gonna think like that anymore. I'm a new creation. I've been made new. That's an old me. I don't have to think like that anymore. When I got saved, I became a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Therefore, I have the capacity to think differently. John goes on. He wore clothing made of camel's hair, leather belt around his waist. Still waiting to see that outfit in church. He says, this was his message. This is where I'll land today. This was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I. The straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. You know, John the Baptist knew who he was and he knew who he wasn't. He knew his position. He knew what his purpose was and he wasn't put out that it wasn't something else. If we were to put this into another gospel story, we would say, you know what? John the Baptist was totally stoked to be a three-talent guy and had no desire to try to be a five-talent guy. He was so happy with who he was. He was content. He's like, I know who Jesus is and I know who I am. Can I tell you that they are the two most important, fundamental, I would say almost never grow beyond. Like there's things in, the, there's things in our Christian journey we never graduate from. We never graduate from salvation. We're saved and being saved, right? But I would say this is another. The two most important things in our journey as true disciples are that we would know God and because we know God, we can know us. That's it. It's not complicated. We're complex, but Christianity is, is simple. Know God, and therefore I can know me. Yet John the Baptist knew that it wasn't about him. It wasn't about his name, his fame, his success. It wasn't about his numbers, his house, his KPI. It wasn't about his clothing. That, that we know for sure. It wasn't about what food he was able to snap and put on Instagram or, or TikTok about the latest meal that he ate. It wasn't about that for John the Baptist. He wasn't trying to build a profile, a status, a name for himself. His energy wasn't involved in building his success, his kingdom. It wasn't about his KPI, his followers, his influence, his status, or his popularity. 
He knew who Jesus was. He knew that it was all about Jesus. And so he knew who he was. You know what he celebrated? He's like, thank you, Jesus. I'm a signpost. That's it. I'm I'm pointing. My whole job is just a point. And sometimes we think we're supposed to be the person. Nope. You're supposed to be the point. You know, in Scripture, we get a bit messed up. We think a bit too highly of ourselves and we think we're all the things in Scripture that we're not, right? We are not the vine. We're the branch. That's it. You're a branch, guys. It's super encouraging this morning. You're a signpost and a branch. Hallelujah. I'm encouraged. I'm going out of here feeling built up. You're not the source. You're not. Take that pressure off yourself. Stop trying to be your own source. I mean, I know you think you've got the special source, but you're not the source. You're not the vine. You're not the saviour. You're the signpost. Here's the thing. We are addicted to the idea of being significant. We're addicted to it. We even love creating significant moments. Right? We thrive on them. We want to go from one significant moment to the next. We want our life marked by significant, significant, significant. Can I tell you something? When you know of your significance, you don't crave that moment because you don't need it to define yourself. Too often we crave that moment because it gives us definition. But when we know how much we mean to Jesus, it's enough. It's enough. And I really wanted to get to the point where he baptized with water at the Jordan River and how the Jordan River is this, always in scripture, it's a transition moment. Always in scripture, the Jordan River, they're crossing over, right? It's a moment of exodus. It's a moment of transition. And right here, right here in this moment at the beginning of Mark, we have the greatest transition moment in the history of mankind. We have a moment where John is transitioning to Jesus, where he's like, I, 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 it's not about me anymore. I used to have disciples, but you know what? And later in Scripture, he tells his disciples, hey, guys, go follow, go follow Jesus. Just leave me. It's not about me. It's about him. So don't, 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 don't come to church and follow me and Rach. Make sure you're following Jesus, and then we'll follow him together. And we'll lead because he's called us to. But we're not Jesus. We're not infallible. We try hard to lead well. But ultimately, you have got to know Jesus. You've got to have your own personal, real relationship with Him. You have got to have made a decision that you are going to be a disciple. In the Jordan River moment, it's a transition of the old covenant into what's going to be the new covenant. It's a powerful moment. It says, John baptized with water, but you know what? The one who's coming, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. We did a whole series on the Holy Spirit earlier this year, and we talked about how those two things, they are distinct. They are, they are definitely different immersion moments 
When you get saved, you make a public declaration. I am following Jesus. I found him. He's real. Water baptism. And if you have not been water baptized and you would like to be water baptized, I tell you right now, we will water baptize you. It'll be wonderful and amazing. And you need to talk to one of our pastoral team about when that is in the calendar because I have no idea. But I know it's in there. So there's water baptism. Do you know that the scripture tells us that when we get saved, we receive the Holy Spirit? Every one of you in here this morning with relationship with Jesus, you have the Spirit. But here, here, there is a distinction that there is something, an immersion that occurs where we immerse our life into the power of that Holy Spirit, where we go to a place where it's not just a single once off, but we desire to live immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, yes, I believe there is a first time that you get baptized in the Spirit. Absolutely. It's like the first time you go under the water. But you know what? We're meant to live under that water. We're meant to live under the Holy Spirit. We're meant to live immersed in His power, in His authority. We're meant to live immersed in that. And so we're going to have an opportunity this morning for anyone who missed that series where we were fully alive and we were praying for people to have that first immersion or, 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 or you went, you've had a moment, you've been baptized in the Spirit, but you've, you're kind of like, you know what, I'm not living immersed in it right now. We're, we're going to pray for you this morning for a re-immersion into the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to finish. I'm going to land this plane. I can keep going. We've only just, just, I've literally just made it to the end of my notes. There you go. But I feel like God's calling on, on one really specific thing this morning. And that's, that's repentance. Because we can't, we can't start this journey unless we are willing to acknowledge that we have some things. Todd bought a word, some things that need to be, to be broken, some thought patterns, some perspectives on this world, on yourself. Some of you think a certain way about yourself and it is restricting you from engaging in the plan and the call that God has on your life for His kingdom. And He wants to adjust that this morning. Thanks for making time to hear this message today. We encourage you to connect with us by heading to c3victory.org.au. 